Oh God, could it be true you will take our hands? As the choir has just sung, and you will walk with us. How could we ask for more? Let this vignette of you capture our hearts and our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of embarrassing to put it this way, but I've got to ask the question. Forgive me. But does God have Alzheimer's? I hold here in my hands, can you see it? The latest issue of Time Magazine. This is actually dated next week. The Alzheimer's pill. What's the subtitle? A radical new drug could change old age. Let me just read a line or two to you, just wondering about God. Dr. Frank Longo isn't the kind of guy who chokes up easily. The preeminent neurologist is better known for his professional stoicism and scholarly approach to the devastation he sees weekly in his Alzheimer's patients. The people who come to his office at the Stanford University School of Medicine, their memory just a little bit worse than the last time he saw them. But today, even though he's trying to keep it together, his throat tightens. He's in a small examining room outside Kansas City, Kansas. Watching a young man do something people do every day. He's swallowing a pill with a big gulp of water. But it's not just any pill. It's a new drug that Longo hopes will prove to be an effective treatment for Alzheimer's. And when the man swallows, tears pool in the deep furrows around Longo's eyes. My biggest frustration is that we've cured Alzheimer's in mice many times. Why can't we move the success to people? Longo asks. He's referring to the numerous promising compounds that have, that, <clears throat> that have eliminated the amyloid plaques associated with Alzheimer's in animals. If the ongoing human trials continue to progress the way he hopes, Longo's drug called LM11A31 could be a critical part of finally making that happen. But that's still a big if. Listen to these stats, America. The stakes couldn't be higher, not just for Longo, but also for the world's aging population. In the U.S., all right, our country, in the U.S., one-third of Americans over 85 are already affected by Alzheimer's. Globally, nearly 50 million people are living with dementia, most of which is caused by Alzheimer's. And absent effective drugs or other interventions, that number is expected to double every 20 years. With no treatments, caring for them falls to loved ones in assisted living facilities. And some of you here know exactly what that sentence is describing. The cost of that care is skyrocketing. Last line, in three years, the global annual burden could reach over $1 trillion. Does God need the Alzheimer's pill? I know it sounds irreverent to, e to even ask the question, but we have his word on it if we take it. And divine amnesia may not be out of the question. I want you to grab your Bible right now. Let's go. Let's cut to the chase. Grab your Bible and your study guide at the same time. You'll need them both. A stunning set of verses that heavily tilt to the possibility. You check it out for yourself. And while you're finding your Bible, let's get our friendly ushers to uh, put in your hands today's brand new study guide. They're jumping up, I think. 
Well, we don't need our friendly ushers. Come on, we can do this ourselves. Just reach in your bulletin. There's your study guide. Pull it out. You didn't get one, though. Hold your hand up, and they're coming. Yeah, they're thinking, where are these study... Oh, look it. And those of you watching right now on, uh, on a screen, some of you streaming, some of you on television, they put the website up for you. You can get the same study guide. You're going to want this study guide. Here's the website, www. <coughs> excuse me, www. <coughs> Excuse me again, www.newperceptions.tv. That's, uh, that's our new website, newperceptions.tv. Go to that website. You're looking for the little series, Charmed into Righteousness. Title of today's teaching, The Greatest Forgiver. Click on there. There'll be a study guide. You've got to follow along with us. So glad you're here. Grab that study guide and let's go. Now for that stunning set of verses. You ready for this? Start off with the book of Isaiah. By the way, you go home this afternoon and mark these up in your Bible. These are, these are top drawer verses. You'll never find verses more potent than these. We're not going to take time to look them up right now. Let's put them on the screen. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25. God, first person. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins. Write it in, please. No more. I will remember your sins no more. Divine amnesia. Come on, guys. How could we miss it? First person promise. I promise to blot out your transgressions and remember your sins no more. Which begs the question, how much is no more? How much is no more? In fact, let's put the words up in the English. You know what? You can't make that any shorter than that. No more. No, I suppose you could. You could say, no more. So we'll use no more. God says, I will remember your sins no more. Just to make sure that we get the point, Isaiah goes on. Jot this one down. Isaiah 38, verse 17. Isaiah speaking to God, you have put all my sins behind your back. Throws them away. Behind your back. No wonder God can't remember our sins. They're They're no longer sitting there in front of him. The problem is they're sitting in front of somebody else and somebody's always remembering, right? Somebody's always remembering. And if you can't think of anybody, it's the devil. Devil never lets you forget, and that's why you keep recalling them. Come on, this is behind. Too bad. There they are again. Isaiah goes on. Isaiah chapter 44. Jot this down. Verse 22. God, first person again. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. And by the way, that's not the Microsoft cloud or the Apple cloud. That's another cloud. A little white fluffy thing. How does it happen? You're looking at it, and suddenly it vanishes in front of your eyes. That's what I've done. Like the low-lying fog in the St. Joseph River Valley. Gong with the advent of the sun. God says, that's what I've done. Jeremiah says, listen, guys, I hope you're not missing what Isaiah is telling you, but in case you have missed it, let me add my voice. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 34, God, first person again. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. There it is again. No more. I'm not going to remember it. I promise you. I mean, you almost get the feeling, don't you, that God wants us to conclude that when it comes to our sins, he really does suffer from a severe case of amnesia. No more. And Micah says, me too, me too, little Micah. He says, I got to get into this. Let's put Micah on the screen. Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Micah asks, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. Boy, was that some singing this morning or what? Christ, 
Lord, have mercy on me. You delight to you delight to show mercy. Now Micah goes on. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the write it down the depths of the sea. God says, I'll bury your sins at sea. At a little mountain lake where I grew up as a missionary's kid in Japan, there would be drownings almost tragically every summer. And I'll tell you what, when you're a kid four years, four years old, five years old, that stuff is indelibly imprinted on the hard disk of childhood memories. I can still see that little, that little motorboat chugging around the last place in the lake where they saw the victim. I can see those authorities looking. I can see them finally reaching into that little skiff and pulling out grappling hooks and dropping those hooks over the side to drag on the bottom of that lake in hopes of finding that victim. Here in Micah, God promises to bury our sins at the bottom of the sea, and the only way they could ever again confront us is if we drop the grappling hooks all over the side ourselves and look for that, the corpse of that sin to pull back up and stare at and mourn over and sob over when God says, what are you doing, girl? I buried that already. The devil does not want us to get this, guys. Oh, he does. This will set you free if you get this picture of God today. And the devil, he said, no, I'm going to keep it in front of you. I'm going I'm to rub your nose in it. I'm going to rub your face in it. Every time you forget, I'm back to remind you. Now, look. All of these stunning promises are presupposed upon the, the reality that we have earnestly, with broken heart, taken that sin to Jesus and given it to him. The promises presuppose that that's what you've done. God can't throw away what he doesn't have. First John 1, 9, come on, don't you ever forget this. The great shining diamond in the New Testament near the end. First John 1, 9, let's read this one out loud together. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, purify us from all unrighteousness. Every one of these promises, the stunning set that we've just gone through, is premised on the simple condition that we confess and repent of our sin before God. Bring it to me. Bring it to me and see what I'll do with it. Isaiah 1, oh, we've got to go back to Isaiah. Jot this down. Isaiah 1, verse 18. Come now, God says, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as... Hallelujah, got melted yesterday. <laughs> Isn't that some? Quit laughing so soon, it'll be back. <laughs> Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be as wool. Jesus says, oh, come on, guys. Please, I beg of you, bring them to me. Bring it to me. I don't care what kind of sin it is. I don't care what color of sin it is. I will not only forgive you, I will wash you, I will purify you, I will cleanse you, and then I'm going to bury that sin in the depths of the sea. I'm going to burn that sin off like the morning mist, gone, dissipated, vanished. I will remember your sin no more. No more. Just give it to me. Let me have it. And the New Testament barely comes to closing when they quickly slip in what we've just gotten in the Old Testament. The New Testament says, don't miss this. Two times in the book of Hebrews, jot this down. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17. There, God speaking, their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more. 
I ask you again. Does God have Alzheimer's? I mean, what's up with this, guys? What, what, what have we just read? <laughs> Severe case of divine amnesia at best. In order to put these stunning promises to the test, we've got to, we've got to operationalize this uh, cluster. We need to operationalize it with a red-blooded human Exhibit A. You're all, all you're going to need is Exhibit A. I, trust me, that's all you're going to need. This one, perhaps, is the most stunning text of all. To set us up, we need to consider four questions. So here come the four questions. Question number one, is it a sin to walk on your roof? Yes or no? The answer is no. Question number two, is it a sin to walk over to the edge of your roof? Not if you don't fall off, it's not. Two. Number three, is it a sin to look into your neighbor's backyard? The answer is no, it's not a sin. Number four, is it a sin to watch your neighbor's wife taking a bath in her backyard in the evening? Yeah. The whole world knows the story of young King David who crossed over the line between innocence and guilt in that moment when he should have turned away. His finger was on the mouse, an unwanted picture popped up on his screen, and all he had to do was click, and it would have been gone, but he lingered and crash and burn like a fighter jet shot out of the blue heavens, spiraling down, 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 crash, it's over. It's inevitable. Any sin you coddle, you will crash and burn every time. And of course, the rest is the tragic morality tale of warning in King David's life. He not only sleeps with his neighbor's wife, get this, he impregnates her. And so to cover it up, he brings her husband home from the battlefront where he's been fighting. He says, go sleep with your wife. She's been missing you. The husband refuses to sleep with his wife because his men are still on the front line taking, taking bullets. So David accidentally executes him by giving the command when he's up at the front, everybody pull back. And it worked. David gloating over that little nifty secret that only he and she know. When Nathan, the prophet, storms into that palace and with King James English, he cries out, Thou art the man! And the record reads, David bursts into tears and he sobs, I have sinned against the Lord. And now added to the annals of penitential literature is this great Psalm 51 prayer. And I need you to see it in your Bible, not on the screen now. No, no, no. You find it. Psalm 51. Find it on your phone. Doesn't matter to me. Psalm 51. Don't have a Bible? Grab the Pew Bible. It'll be page 387. This prayer... This prayer, this great prayer, David praying, verse 1, Psalm 51, verse 1, have mercy on me, O God. We sang those words a moment ago. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Verse 2, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. David sobs. Did you catch that? Come on. David is praying for what God has already promised in this stunning set of verses we've already read. David pleads, blot out my transgressions, but God has promised, I will remember your sins no more. David sobs, cleanse me from my sin, but God promises, though your sins be as scarlet, they should be as white as snow. God has already made provision for your prayer that sobs these words, 
already done. And how deep was God's forgiveness of David? <laughs> Consider now the most stunning of all the verses we look at this morning. Because David eventually dies. Yes, he does. And God has to send a message to the wicked, one of David's successors, wicked and evil King Jeroboam. I want you to see what God sends to Jeroboam. Turn back. You're, you're in 51 Psalm. Psalm 51, go back to 1 Kings chapter 14. If this verse is not marked in your Bible, today is the day that you circle it, you put stars all around it, you underline it, you bend the page over if you have to. You need to see this stunning proof that the stunning promises we've read are all true. Here we go. 1 Kings chapter 14. Verse 8, I'm in the NIV. Let's go. Verse 8, God speaking, I tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, King Jeroboam, but you have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You cannot fathom the depth of what God has just said unless we break it down. So we're going to break it down right now with your study guide. Write it back down. Let's go. But you, Jeroboam, have not been like my servant David, who, number one, so I've added the numbers, who, number one, kept my commandments. <laughs> oh, God. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Come on. What are you talking about? He broke the seventh commandment about adultery. He killed the husband. That would be six. He lied. That would be eight. He coveted to start the whole thing. That's ten. He dishonored his father and mother and their spiritual legacy. He broke the whole ten. What are you saying? You kept all my commandments. God says, quit interrupting me, boy. I have more to say. Number two, jot it down. Who kept my commandments, and number two, followed me with all his heart. I hate to do this again, God, but just, just, are we talking about the same David? All his heart he gave to you? I don't want to say this, but are you crazy? You got Alzheimer's. That, boy, that's a big secret that shouldn't get out. God says, I'm not through yet. I got one more. Who kept my commandments, number one, and two, follow me with all his heart, and number three, he did only what was right in my eyes. <laughs> God, you, you're sick. You lost it. You know what he did. The whole world knows it's too late. Scribbling on this page of my Bible, I've left these words. In every Bible that I can find uh, 1 Kings 14 in, I write these words in that Bible. You can do it the same because I've given it to you in your study guide. It's Steps to Christ, that little classic, Steps to Christ, How to Come to Jesus. Page 62. Oh, this is good. Jot it down. If you give yourself to Jesus and accept him as your Savior... Then sinful as your life may have been, for his sake, you are accounted righteous. Christ's character stands in place of your character, and you are accepted before God just as if you had not sinned. Write it down and never forget it. Corroboration that this stunning set of promises is true. I will remember your sin no more. I will bury it in the depths of the sea. I will burn it off like the morning mist. I will throw it behind my back. I will treat you like David so that when you die or your name comes up in the judgment, when they call your name, I'll say, hey, I don't remember a thing about him. 
She did only what was right. That's the God we have just met in this ancient book. Wow. I tell you what, it simply, it simply does not get any better than that if you're a sinner like me. Because God is the greatest forgiver, bar none. If you're like me, you have been forgiven by some very merciful and grace-filled, wonderful people in your life. Trust me, I have too. But better than them all is the greatest forgiver in the universe who says, I don't even remember. No more. No more. Which makes you wonder. If we really believe this, come on, come on. If we truly believe that God is the greatest forgiver in the universe, why wouldn't we be more open with him about what's inside of us? Come on, why? If he's the greatest forgiver of all, why wouldn't we be more transparent, transparent before him? Why wouldn't we be more vulnerable in confessing our little dirty secrets to him? I mean, please. We all play these silly little games with God, don't we? Pretending to be not quite as needy, not quite as desperate as that publican who's sitting way in the back of the church, or in the front of the church in this case. But I thank you that I tithe and I keep the Sabbath fast twice a week. C.S. Lewis, in his little book, Letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, wisely observes, jot this down, very, very insightful. We must lay before God what is in us, not what ought to be in us. We got to tell him, this is in me now. Not, you see, we go to God and say, I know what he wants. I know what he wants. Watch this. Hey, God, I'm that way. What a foolish game. Lewis goes on, the prayer preceding all prayers is, I like this, may it be the real I who speaks, and may it be the real thou that I speak to. Who do we think we're fooling when the darkest secrets of our hearts, we keep them from God? I don't want him to see. I don't want him to know. Are you crazy? Is he God? Of course he knows. I mean, we're like the little girl. Mother comes in, insisting that she's eating chocolate chip cookies, and she says, not me, not me, mama. Chocolate smeared all around her lips, crumbs all over her face. Not me, mama, I haven't eaten. God says, what are you, who are you fooling? I say, it's all over you. Fess up. Philip Yancey, boy, this is good. Unless I level with God that relationship, my relationship with him, oh, this is, this you need My relationship with him will go nowhere if I don't level with him. I may continue going to church, as I did today. I may sing hymns and praise choruses, as we did today. I may even address God politely in formal prayers, but I will never break through the intimacy barrier. Did you catch that? Because God says, what are you you, you trying to tell me? I know you. 
but you obviously don't know me because you're hiding out of me. I know exactly what you're hiding. Why don't you get this out in the open? Why don't you just deal with this? Then you and I can really go deep, but I can't go deep with somebody who's always playing, playing a game with me. I'm tired of silly games. I'm running out of time. Tell me who you are. Tell me what you need and ask me to do what I've already promised to do. Don't go around saying I'm not that way when, in fact, you are. You may fool your lawyer, by the way, but you're not going to fool God. It's the only way we can break this intimacy barrier. How can... Look, at the Bible says, James, James chapter uh, 4, verse 8, draw nigh to God and He will draw nigh to you. Come close to me. <sighs> of course I'm getting closer to you because you're coming closer to me. It's not like I was standing off. I needed you to just step my way. You can trust the greatest forgiver in the universe with your deepest and darkest secrets because he already knows them all and loves you with all his heart in spite of them all. Once upon a time, there was a God who came down to this earth, and when it came time to die for this world, he stretched out his arms as they nailed him on the cross, and he prayed a single prayer. I'll put that prayer on the screen for you. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I beg of you, forgive them, please. Desire of Ages writes, put it on the screen, that prayer of Christ for his enemies embraced the world. It took in every sinner that, should live, that has lived or should live from the beginning of the world to the end of time. Upon all rests the guilt of crucifying the Son of God. And then here comes the gospel. To all, forgiveness is freely offered. Whosoever will may have peace with God and inherit eternal life. Hey, guys, you, you, please get this. The truth is... Because of Calvary, listen, the truth is we have already been forgiven 2,000 years ago. The whole world got forgiven. We pardoned, pardoned, charges dropped 2,000 years ago, which, re which, which reduces to absurdity. Get this, come on. Which reduces to absurdity the suggestion that God may not forgive me this time when in fact he has already forgiven me for next time 2,000 years ago. Come on. No more. I'm promising you, no more. So why not receive the gift right now? Several years ago, more event in the great preacher stood right here. I remember this. And he announced that there are four things that God does not know. One, he does not know a sin he does not hate. Two, he does not know a sinner he doesn't love. Three, he does not know a sin he can't forgive. And four, he does not know a better time than now. Pull out that connect card, will you please? Because I want to give you, give you an opportunity to make the decision right now. We've played these silly games long enough. Today is your day of deliverance. God is here. The devil has been held at bay for a few more minutes. 
Pull out your Connect card, and I want to go through that Connect card with you. Get, be sure that I have your, your uh, email address on the front. Your name and email address, that's all I need. I want to go to the back, and it's time to make a decision. My next step today, some of you, this moment is going to be a liberating moment for you, and I'm going to do something I've never done with Connect cards before. So let me have your ears. Let me have your ears. My next step today, number one, I am grateful God not only forgives all my sins, but also remembers them no more. Today, I confess to him what he already knows. Some of you have been playing this game long, long, long enough, and it's time for your heart to be set free. Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you're free indeed, man, woman. You're free indeed. Just let me give it to me, and I'll remember it no more. But you have to give it to me. I want you to give me what's 30 years behind you. I need what's 30 years behind you because that baby keeps coming up. And I am sick and tired of it being the wall between you and me. I need you to come clean for me. I need you to come clean right now. Just get it out. Let's go. I want you to put a check mark right there. And I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment to operationalize that check mark. Box number two, I would like to pierce the intimacy barrier and daily pray and talk to God with vulnerable candor. Vulnerable candor. That's what we're talking about. Be honest with him. Open your heart up. Place all your sins in his hands. If they're particularly fresh, good. If they're unusually distant, all the more. Get them gone. In box number three, I'd like to bury my past in the waters of baptism. Please be in touch with me. That is the most significant symbol that the Bible gives to burying the past once and for all. If you have not been baptized and you're in this sanctuary right now and you're watching on television, you're, you're live streaming right now, I need you to know. If you've not been baptized, this is the act in Christ that will wash your past away. Amen. You say, I'm not going to be baptized. You're, you want to carry that ball and chain? Be my guest. If you have not been baptized, put a check mark there. Nobody's going to rush you. You take your time, but you make the decision today. I'm tired of carrying, dragging this ball and chain in my life. I want it gone. You put a check mark there, and it'll be an honor to be in touch with you by email. By email. You, you control everything, but make the decision. Because you control the decision. God is saying, that girl, why is she making that decision? That boy. I mean, how many times have I asked that boy to give me his heart and to baptize his life and bury his past in me, but he won't. He's playing this silly little game as if there's nothing in his life he needs right now. Everything's hunky-dory, God. Thank you so much. Call me again when you need me. Give me a life, he says. Let me have it. And I'll just bury it, and it'll be gone, girl. It'll be gone. Cuba mission, put a check mark there. So here's what's different. If God is calling you, put them all in my hands right now, everything, everything, put them all in my hands right now. I'm going to ask you to take this card and walk to the front right now. Don't have the choir singing a lovely hymn. Nope. Just take this card and come to the front. And by, say, by that, saying, Dwight, pray for me right now on the spot. And I will pray for you right now on the spot. I want a couple of pastors to stand right here and receive these cards. I'm not asking for your tithes and offerings. I'm asking for your Connect card. If you've made a decision today that I'm going to bury that past, I'm going to give everything to you, God, everything to you. I want you to come forward, please. 
and put a card in one of these pastors' hands. And I want to pray with you. Oh, God, I praise your name for these who've come forward. Ah, it always takes a little bit of gumption and courage to step up in front of everybody. And, but you know what, Lord? Jesus, with a, a cross on his back, all alone dragged it to the top of Golgotha. He did it to operationalize the prayer. Father, forgive him, forgive her. She didn't know what she was doing. Bring it to me, child. Just bring it to me. I will bury it in the depths of the sea, and I will remember your sin no more. It's not between you and me ever again. I've dropped it. I dropped it 2,000 years ago. Drop it now, please. Drop it in my hand. I'll take it. And then I'll breathe into you all the power and grace and and courage you need to live boldly for me. I know what this means for you. But you, you have me. And I'm with you. I am with you to the end of the age. So stay with me. We'll grow together. And that intimacy, you watch. It'll be there, you and me, every morning, alone. Oh, Father, take our raised hands in these decisions and seal this moment. May this almost too good to be true picture of you be what remains in our hearts until Jesus comes. Amen.